You are listening to a message by Travis Scott from our gatherings at Shorebreak. Visit shorebreakchurch.com to get connected with more content. And if you would like to support the gospel being preached in Kona and to thousands online, your tax-deductible donation enables us to further Jesus' mission. Partner with us by giving at shorebreakchurch.com backslash give. Mahalo. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Michael Rader. My wife and I moved to the Big Island one year ago, and the Lord led us to shore break within about a month of us living here. The number one concern that would dictate how long we lived in Hawaii was if we could find a truly gospel-centered church. And even if we did find one, our initial plan was still to only stay for a year, then consider other options. But then God, through Scripture, reminded me that my life is not about me, it's about Him. And I think when one comes to realize this, the Lord will open up doors and challenges that will not only further the joy of their life and wisdom in Christ, but will overwhelm them with a sense of true usefulness. And when I feel my life being used for the glory of God rather than for my own glory, I am free from countless sins that come with focusing on my dying flesh. Aside from the amazing people of Christ at this church, we have no family in Hawaii and essentially came to this island for a short adventure in our new married life. In a way, I feel like it was God setting us on one last self-centered trip that would ultimately end for his glory. He sent us to this beautiful island and led us to an amazing church where he would use us exactly how he saw fit, no holds barred. And I was happy to throw my hands up and surrender. A trip that was born out of self-pursuit ended up increasing our lives by increasing him. Almost right away, we saw saw our lives transforming for Christ and his church. We started out by opening up our home for a community group in Halu'uloa. Then soon after, I started volunteering for the coffee lounge. A short time later, my wife Andre and I began volunteering in Keiki, which is still a huge blessing in our lives. Some months after that, I was asked to help co-lead a community group, which I was quite hesitant about at first, but I know firsthand the results of quenching the Holy Spirit. So eventually, I was all in and very thankful that I was blessed to bring forth fruit unto holiness in that way. Then maybe a few months after that, I was asked to help usher and assist with communion. Within my short time here, God clearly had no limits in his plan for me. I share this not to put the spotlight on myself in any way, but to give testimony of the awesomeness of God and his Holy Spirit through a hopeless sinner. And I just pray that the Lord continues to use me for his good pleasure and that he continues to hold nothing back in the work he would use through me. I want to share 1 Peter 4, 10, 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, and to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not too long ago, I was just a taker of the message, and I offered nothing to the church. The God of my Sunday was hardly the God of my Monday. We all have a higher calling than sitting back and reaping the benefits of the amazing messages we receive here on Sundays. This building is not the church. The people in this building are the church. And the leaders of this church do not own this church. Jesus Christ owns this church. So we all have responsibility here, not just our leaders. If you call this your church, then make it your church. I'll end with a modified quote by John F. Kennedy. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Go ahead and have a seat. My name is Annalise Woodson. And uh, when my husband, Corey, and I transplanted to Kona almost two years ago, we prayed to find a church home to serve with that was gospel-centered. The first Sunday we came to shore break was our third week in Kona. We listened to the sermon with the critical ear of Bible College alumni, but underneath the sermon there was a still small voice. It said, don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. And that's from 1 Timothy 4, 12 and 13. I thought to myself, if this is where these young, obedient men and women of God are today, then can you imagine what the Holy Spirit has in mind for them in the future? We knew we were home. Personally, I've never grown with my walk with Christ as I have in the last two years. So many sermons out there read like magazines. You know, how to have your best life now, and the 13 keys to defeating the devil tonight. Well... (laughs) I, uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I brought my pen and paper out ready for my to-do list of how to be a better Christian this week, only to be a little disappointed. I thought, you mean uh, God does it for us, so I just have to let him? <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, fast forward a little, and now I get to rejoice as I watch the Holy Spirit manifesting his holiness in my life and in the lives of others through um, community groups, through the coffee lounge ministry, and gospel care. Um, And I celebrate with you today that uh, it is by grace we are saved through faith so no one can boast. It's been a delightful two years watching the Lord grow this ohana. I pray that we would grow in grace and in unity as we amplify Jesus in the years to come. Happy birthday, short break. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Malachi. Malachi chapter 2, the end of it, into Malachi chapter 3. And today we celebrate, today... Showbreak turns three. Today we have a Jesus party and the way we're going to celebrate all that God has done, is doing, and will do is by no other than looking to him, to hear from him, to grow from him in and through the scriptures. And so I just want to take a moment and say thank you so much from uh, to Michael and Annalise for sharing their testimony. What a blessing it is. That's just one of many stories of many people being transformed by the gospel, of many people growing in the knowledge of the truth by God's grace here at the church. And we're so thankful for them who serve. We're thankful for everyone who serves at this church. And especially, of course, to Jenny Smith, who also serves and helps run the cakey ministry, which is no light task. So if we can, church, just put our hands together and thank everyone who serves on Sunday at this church. It is a great sacrifice, and we are so, so thankful for you. We are humbled that you're joining with us this morning. Uh, If you're new, and if you're a first-time visitor at this church, we would pray that as you're looking for a church and where you would put your roots down, that it would be this church, that, that um, that you would grow and be committed, that if this is really where God is leading you to be, if this is the church he would have for you to be a part of, And if you're not sure what we're about as a church, there probably couldn't be a better Sunday you could be joining us than to hear what we're about as a church. And then this Sunday, uh, today, um, you'll kind of give you an idea of really what we are all about. And so I had you turn to Malachi chapter 2. We're going to put our attention on verse 17. And if you would stand for the reading of his word. Verse 17, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. They will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah in Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who turn aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. O Lord of hosts, heavenly Father, sovereign over angels, powerful over the rulers of this world, Lord of hosts, the one who holds all creation in your hands, we submit our lives to you this morning, for you are a great God. You are God of justice. You are God of holiness. And while we may come with our questions, we question in submission to your glory. For no one is greater 
No one more powerful, no one more mighty than you, God. And so as we have this time to worship you through the word of God, we ask that you would speak to our soul, minister to our hearts, that by your grace we would grow in the knowledge of who you are. Now, whatever baggage we've brought in this morning, God, that whatever thoughts that do not glorify you, sins that entangle us, struggles that we have, because none of us in here are perfect. We ask that all those things would be laid aside in light of who you are. That we would reclaim awe of you, God, and that you would help me to be faithful to your word. It's not about what I have to say or about what we want to hear, but it's about what you've said. Thank you that you've given us the scriptures. And so we ask that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. Questions. Questions. It's not wrong to question God necessarily. There are a type of questions that can be asked of God that God would hear that God would honor. There's a type of questioning that God approves. Uh, what comes to mind in types of questions that God approves is um, Mary. When the angel Gabriel approaches Mary and tells her that she is going to have a baby, and Mary, rightfully so, has some questions. You would too, if you were 12 to 14 years old, not married, betrothed to be engaged, and a virgin. How is this going to happen? I am pure, and you've said I'm going to have a baby. I'm a virgin. Like, pretty legitimate question, right? I mean, we would agree, most of us in here this morning, if you were 12 to 14 years of age, and you, God spoke to you and said, you're going to have a baby, you would probably wonder, well, how is that going to happen? How is this going to unfold? Um, Gabriel says, to answer her question, the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Mary's like, okay. Let it be to me according to your word. So she had a question, but in her question, she was seeking an answer. It reminds me of even of John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus the one who blazed the trail in front of him, preparing the way for the Lord, where John the Baptist is preaching the gospel, this voice in the wilderness crying out, declaring, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. People are being baptized, people coming out to hear him. Thousands upon thousands are coming to hear John the Baptist's message, an incredible message. And John ends up being in prison for him doing all that he has for the glory of God. And as he's in prison, he has some questions. I've done this work for Jesus. I've prepared the way for Jesus. So he sends his disciples to go ask Jesus, hey, since I'm in prison, I can't go. Will you guys go and, and ask him? Are you the one? Are you the promised Messiah? Or, or, or should we look for another? And Jesus hears the question of John the Baptist and answers him. Because John the Baptist is having a hard time. After all, you would too if you're about to lose your life for Jesus. You would too if you were in prison for Jesus. Already suffered greatly for him, about to suffer more greatly for him. And so Jesus answers him. And what does Jesus say? Oh, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed. He answers him. He answers him. Questions that are those questions that when brought before God, God approves of. That in our lack of belief, like Mary, like John, like you and I, we can come before God and ask him to help us. Lord, I believe you, but would you help me with my unbelief? Lord, I have some questions. I need you to answer them. But in my unbelief, would you help me to believe in you? And listen, God honors the questions of a struggling heart. If you and your heart are struggling right now this morning, 
in unbelief, God would honor your questions in unbelief by answering them. But just so you know, you might not get the answer you were expecting. We do this thing in our family. We, I don't do it often enough, but we do this thing in our family called Daddy Dude Time. We, we do it with our, 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 our boys. And so I, it was my, my time to take uh, my oldest, Sebastian, and to take him out. He's seven, and so went to a restaurant, went to the arcade later. It's just time for him and I, one-on-one FaceTime. And so we do Daddy Dude Time. And so um, we're at the restaurant, and we sit down, and the waitress asks, her question, what would you guys like to drink? So I turned to Sebastian and I said, hey man, you can order whatever you want to drink. Now he doesn't drink soda a lot, so he doesn't know the names of, of drinks. And so he was trying to find the words. And so to my shock, he looks, I mean, just straight up, like, you know, it's, it's neat to see him maturing and totally just straight face looking at the waitress is like, so I would like this drink. You know, it's really bubbly. And, and when you drink it, it's kind of spicy. In fact, it goes up to your nose. Uh, maybe even comes out of your nose a little bit. It makes you burp quite a bit. And even when I sit down later, if I ingest it properly, I even fart. And the lady's like <laughs> looking at this. I like bury my head. I'm like, are you kidding me? And she did the same thing you did right now. And so, and, and, I, and I looked at him and I was like, I think you mean root beer, right? That's what you're talking about? Root beer is what you, it's like, yeah, that's the one, root beer, yeah. And so she comes back later and, uh, and she's like, hey, Sebastian, here is your nose bubbling, fart creating, burping beverage for you, right? And she got an answer, but it wasn't the answer she was expecting, Right? John the Baptist, when he asked Jesus, are you the one who is, who, are you the one, the promised Messiah who is to come, or should we look for another? And Jesus answers him, but he gives them the answer they were not expecting. And so what does Jesus say? Yeah, the, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed. Quotes a verse from the Old Testament, but leaves off a portion of that verse that he quoted from the Old Testament, which is, and the captives will be set free. Which immediately, John would have alluded to John, you're not, you're not getting out. You'll be beheaded for my glory. Got an answer, not the answer he was expecting. So God does answer the questions of those who struggle with be- in belief. But there are also questions that God gets annoyed at, frustrated with, questions that God does not approve of. Questioning of Israel. The beginning of Israel, when, when Israel is being set free from their bondage in Egypt, they've been under the heavy hand of Pharaoh. They're out there. Pharaoh's army is after them. God, have you brought it, speaking to Moses and to God, the, Israel cries out, have you brought us out here to die? Like, have you, do you remember all the plagues I brought upon Pharaoh and upon the nation? Have I not delivered you from the heavy hand of Pharaoh? And here you are, Israel, questioning as though somehow I'm just going to let you out of here and die, really? How about the Pharisees? They had questions for God, right? Oh, they, they, they went up to Jesus all the time, trying to trip him up, trying to cause him to stumble, stumble, talking story with him, but in them talking story, they had a secret motive of trying to, to cause him to say something wrong, to prove that he isn't the Messiah, to prove that he isn't sent from God, that he's in fact a false prophet. They didn't question him because they wanted answers. They questioned him to make accusations of him. In Malachi, Israel's questions now, as we look at this dialogue between God and Israel, they have turned into accusations. Israel, as they question God throughout this book, and like we just read, they are not questioning God because they are struggling with unbelief and they really want an answer. They're questioning God and their questions are infused with accusations. Their questions have revealed their spiritual lethargy. Their doubts have brewed into criticisms of God. So their accusations so, so far have been, God says, I've loved you. How have you loved us? Accusation. God, then, then of course, God says, you polluted my, my table of offering. Well, how have we polluted the table of offering? Well, 
Another accusation. Why does he not have favor on us? How have we despised your name? God has declared his love for them and God is fed up with their questionings because they have become accusations. And so he is going to give them the answer they were not expecting. But we see the dialogue in verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? Really is? But they're doing it. They're, they're going for it by saying, like if I was God here really quick at this point, like it's like lightning bolt from heaven, you're obliterated, right? God is like being patient with them, long suffering with them. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. This is their accusation and he delights in them or by asking, where is the God of justice? They question God as though they know what is best for their life. They know what is best and God doesn't know what's best because it's revealed in the question they have asked of God. Where is your justice? Where is your goodness? And so they accuse God in verse 17 at the end. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. That's a pretty intense accusation. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Israel here is lashing out at the goodness of God. And in them lashing out at the goodness of God, they're not being logical in their argument in any way because often when our heart is in this state of questioning the goodness of God, we look at the wickedness of other people. We look at the sins of other people. Why is that person doing so well in life? Why are they being blessed? And here am I struggling, having a hard time, not being, I mean, look at my life, look at their life. Where is the God of justice? They're wicked. God, we're your children. Why am I not receiving the blessing? And why are they receiving the blessing? This rhythm, this idea, this rhythm found throughout the scriptures is also in Psalm 73, where we read, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled and my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. God, the the wicked people are doing well. The wicked people are making it to the top. They're doing so well. Here am I, just trying to serve you, trying to love you, trying to worship you. How is God a God of justice? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when you've seen everyone do so well, everyone prospering except you? Malachi says, you have wearied the Lord. Israel, with your questions of God, your accusations, you have wearied the Lord with your words. You know when you like argue someone, that that person who just always has to win the argument and they just are able to talk their way out of it and you just give up because you know they're going to win? It's like, I thought we already talked about this like 45 minutes ago. Yes, but I'm not done yet. Let me tell you why you're wrong, right? 45 minutes later, They've worried you with their words. The Lord is wearied by their words. Now, God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful. So God cannot be wearied, but in his power, he is saying, you're wearying me. I'm tired of it. Your questions, your accusations, all these words that you're saying, I don't hear you. You're not seeking answers you're accusing me and so God is tired of them and and even in Isaiah 43 it's verse 24 it says you've burdened me with your sins you have wearied me with your iniquities we can weary the omnipotent all-powerful God by with our words and by with our sins their accusations have revealed the wickedness of their heart See, in accusing God of being evil and accusing God of, of, of delighting in the wicked and blessing the wicked and questioning, then where is your justice in all this? Is actually flipping the universe on its head. We're no longer as God on top and he is to be feared and he is to be worshiped, but we're on top, we know what's best and we can prosecute God and question him. That's, that's what they're doing here. 
That's often what we do, sitting in the prosecuting chair. God, where are you at? Thought you were going to show up. You, did, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Where, where are you? How, how did you not show up? Which is just, you know, accusing God of being evil. It makes them above him and supposedly better than him, which is evil because, listen, our understanding of goodness, of righteousness, of justice, of the wrath of God is a shadow of God's justice, God's righteousness, God's goodness, God's wrath. Isn't it convenient that we, from our own perspective, can interpret the justice and the goodness of God with our own heart? We interpret it through our own heart and our own mind, which need to be renewed. We see through a glass dimly. We don't fully understand. We don't see the whole picture. We cannot totally understand the justice of God on this side of glory. But here we are, sinful people, staring through this glass dimly saying, God, you're wrong. God's like, well, you don't have the whole picture. You don't see how I'm working and and moving. God, you should have done this. I cannot believe you have allowed this to happen. God, why did I have to suffer? Why did they have to die? Why did I have to experience this certain thing in my life? Why am I constantly in struggle in this? Why am I having such a hard time paying my bills? You could have fixed this. You could have made this better. Why have they got the blessing and I didn't? You could have done more, God. And all this wearies the Lord. See, Israel wants fairness for their enemies when they don't even realize they are just as guilty. When we want to, when we want love for ourselves and justice for our enemies, we fail to understand our own corruption, do we not? When we fail, we fail when we want love for ourselves and justice for our enemies, right? Like David, God, just bring fire down from heaven and consume my enemies. What if your enemy is praying that God would consume you with fire, right? God, just consume that. Uh, that, that. We don't want fairness. We don't want justice for ourselves. Because if you and I get fairness and justice, we all get hell. And we don't want hell. We deserve hell. But do, do, do we really want, you, you want to have the conversation of, with, with God about his goodness and his justice if we all deserve hell? Where is the God of justice? Here comes the answer. God answers them. Not the answer they're expecting. Behold, verse one, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. With all their questioning, God in his grace gives them one answer. And this answer is good news. And God says, I send my messenger at the beginning, verse, right at the beginning of verse 1. It's speaking of John the Baptist. Now we'll actually touch on John the Baptist at the end of this series. So we don't have time to go there today. But then God says, that's the first messenger, but then there's a second messenger, and I need you to pick up on this. Verse one is, is loaded. And the Lord whom you seek, this is God speaking right now. Guys, this is God speaking. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Well, I thought there was one God. Y- yes, there's one God in three persons. We have the manifestation of the Trinity right here in Malachi chapter Three, verse one. God speaking of himself, the Lord whom you seek me will suddenly come to his temple, him, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says who? Says the Lord of hosts. Now this person here, like many of Jewish people, take this verse and misunderstand this verse because they take the messenger at verse one and apply that to the same person of what we just read. You can't do that because the person here is not being spoken of. It's not John the Baptist. 
The first messenger is the one who comes in the spirit of Elijah. Elijah doesn't own the temple, does he? It says in, in this verse, who comes to his temple. So who owns the temple? God, God owns the temple. So look at verse one again. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Where is the justice of God? God is sending him and his name is Jesus. This is what we have right here in this verse. He is coming. You will delight in him. Jesus is the answer. Jesus was the answer. Jesus is the answer. Jesus will always be the answer when we have questions about the justice of God. When you question the goodness of God, when you wonder about his justice, Jesus is the answer. Jesus was the answer. Jesus is the answer. And Jesus will always be the answer. And verse 1 tells us that he is coming to the temple. He is going to make all the wrongs right. He's going to bring justice in a way that you and I have never seen before. Now, how can we know we're not running too far ahead of the scriptures here. How can we know that at the end of verse one, this is speaking of a Trinitarian Godhead and God sending his son Jesus to be the messenger in whom we delight. Are we sure? Well, verse two will answer that question. Look at verse two. But who can endure the day of his coming? Now, is it just talking about a prophet here? Who can endure the day of his coming? It's not really, it's not language spoken of, of a prophet. Who can stand when he appears? Anvil is being dropped. This is big. For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. So the refiner's fire, now to connect verse 1 to verse 2, is the owner of the temple, the messenger, who is Jesus. And the scriptures tell us here that Jesus is like a refiner's fire. Underline that. He is like a refiner's fire. What is Jesus' fire specifically in this verse here now talking? What is it not like? It's not like a brush fire that consumes everything in its path. If you remember uh, on 4th of July, kids lit fireworks, caught like palisades on fire and stuff like that. And hopefully no homes burned down, I don't think. But it, if you guys remember that, it was, you know, it was just consuming everything in its path. And firefighters are doing everything they can to hold the fire back, right? That is not the refiner's fire. And he is not like a raging brush fire here. He's not like a fire of destruction. Jesus is a refiner's fire. The fire of a refiner, know this, is a fire of purification, that's what's being spoken of here. That as gold is heated to its melting point, all the impurities, all the dross of the gold come to the surface. And what the goldsmith does, what the fire refiner does, is take that dross and the impurities and scrape them off of the gold so that what would be left is what's pure and holy. You and I are gold here. Jesus is the refiner's fire. We need to be refined by Jesus, which means that we are not pure people. We are not pure 100% gold. There are impurities in you and there are impurities in me. We are impure by nature and we are impure by our own actions. We have, just so you know, we are impure. We have inherited original sin from our first fathers, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sinned. The moment they sinned, creation was broken. And not just creation itself, but, but even created people, those in the image of God. Though, yes, we are still in the image of God, our image of God has been somewhat broken. And so we've been born into sin. We're not born spiritually neutral. We're not born with a blank slate. The psalmist says from my mother's womb, I was born into iniquity. That the moment we are born, though, even the first seconds of life, we've joked about this at the church, when a child comes out of the mother's womb, it screams, me, that's, that's what it wants. It just wants all about him. 
We are selfish by nature, and we have willfully joined in creation and the rebellion against God. So we cannot stand before God unless we are made pure. So Malachi is telling them, at his coming, you cannot stand, Israel. When I send my messenger, who can stand, verse 2? Who can stand when he appears? Everyone in Scripture who has an encounter with the glory of God collapses in fear of who he is. Every person you read story after story who encounters the almighty God collapses, trembles, and fear before his feet. The view of God, the most majestic view of God you have right now isn't big enough. Who can stand when he appears? I don't want you to get to heaven and to blame me for saying this day wasn't going to be more incredible than you ever thought. Every person will stand before God and you will fear him. And the biggest view you have of God right now is not big enough. We cannot ascribe enough glory to his name. We cannot sing enough praises to, to fully satisfy all of his wholeness. We cannot fully comprehend his greatness, his majesty. And I, I don't want you to get there on that day, the day you die, when you stand before him and be like, yeah, no one's going to stand before God with their arms folded and be like, really, God, that's it? Thought you were going to be a little bit bigger. Thought you were going to be a little bit better. Whatever, I'm kind of disappointed. Maybe I should, no. <laughs> no one is going to do that. And I want you to be ready. We can't get so caught up in the daily life that we miss out on Living for what is eternal, you are going to fear him. I am going to fear him. I'm going to tremble and shake and fear for my life, even as a Christian when we stand before him. When we begin to understand the holiness of God, who is worthy to be in his presence? Who can stand when he appears? What's the answer to that then, to verse two? Who can stand when he appears? Answer, no one, unless they are refined. Unless they are made holy, unless the dross of our sins are taken away, it is then can we stand before God. Verse three, look at verse three. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. So here God the refiner fans the flames and turns up the heat to what does not belong. He sits as the refiner's fire. He will purify the sons of Levi. He is the one who makes us pure. He is the one who makes us righteous. He is the one who makes us holy. But listen, the process of purity is painful because we cannot get rid of sin on our own. Try as you may to be as holy as you can, left on your own, me left on my own. I cannot just get rid of sin on my own. So what God does is God flames God's flames of affliction are turned up. And God's flames of affliction, know this, please hear me on this, are always for your purification, are always for your holiness. It makes us uncomfortable, it's intense, it's often painful. But if you are going to stand before him, the refiner has to turn up the flames of refinement. Do 
Jesus has to be a refiner's fire if we are to see God, dwell with God, and live with God for all eternity. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, or 5, 8? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. Only those who can see God are those who are made pure in heart. Only those who can stand at the day of his coming are the ones who have had the fire turned up and and the dross scraped away and removed. Painful, awkward, hot, yes, but absolutely necessary. And so the refiner's fire may sting, but it never destroys you. It's there to bless you. So if at this moment, listen, you need to hear me on this. If you are in the midst of the flames of affliction, suffering, having a hard time of seeing them get blessed and not you, seeing the wicked prosper, struggling with the justice of God, not sure how he is good, not totally understanding why you're going through all this suffering. Listen, God will send you away all that does not glorify him so that you will see his goodness. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7 says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All of God's people should expect the flames of Jesus, our refiner. But after the smoke clears, your soul will sing of the greatness of God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the flames of affliction when inbound, flames singe away the ropes. They're in the midst of the affliction. Jesus is there with them, the refiner. And they come out of that fire better than they went in. When inbound, came out free. So what Jesus does is he tests us and, and, and life and the experiences of life and sin come upon us often and the heat is turned up, and as we go through, it's not that God tests us with wickedness and sin. He doesn't do that. But even by our own flesh, and as we go through all these different experiences in life, Jesus will often turn up the heat to remove all in our life that does not glorify him so that we will stand before him pure one day. And maybe even the heat's on right now in this sermon. Maybe God has turned up the fiery furnace right now with you. He's done that to make you pure so that you would see him better and love him more and understand more of his goodness and his grace. So we're told here in verse three that God will purify the sons of Levi. God is going to purify the sons of Levi. See, the Levites, the priests then, they had led the people astray. And so God's going to turn the heat up on them. And as he turns the heat up on them, they will, their hearts will be turned back to him. And so as the spiritual leaders go in the, in the nation, so the people follow. And as they begin to follow and worship God again, because of the refiner's fire, so the people will follow. Verse four, we read, then the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Because Jesus the refiner is coming, he is going to restore what has been broken. Going to put back together what has been destroyed by the results of sin. And then verse five, we read, then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, He's letting him know, I'm, I'm going to be swift. I'm going to come. I, I'm going to wreak some havoc against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow, the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Now here, this is a different Jesus. This is a different judgment. This is a different truth. This is not the refiner's fire. Verse 5 is the fire of absolute destruction. Verse 5 is the fire of God's 
judgment. A fire that consumes all that it is in its path. Not the refining of gold, not the refining of silver, just the refining of wood, hay, and stubble. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming like an oven when all the arrogant, all evildoers will be stumble, will be stubble, rather. Stubble, there it is, not gold, stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that I will leave them neither root nor branch. Before God, you and I will either be refined gold or charred stubble. If we were to take all creation, all humanity, to its simplest form, we are pure gold, or charred remains. Yeah, this is that hellfire and brimstone stuff. Yeah, well, if you're not in Jesus, yeah. If he isn't your delight, then yes. I mean, notice this again. It's not just only out of fear, though it is partly fear. But verse 2 says, that the messenger of the covenant who is coming is in him you delight. Jesus is yes and amen to be our delight, but if we do not delight in Jesus, if we do not enjoy Jesus, if Jesus is not our treasure, then we will be on the other side of God's wrath and judgment, not refined as gold, but destroyed as stubble. We will all face God's fire, and may by his grace you and I encounter the refiner's flames, not the all-consuming flames. So their accusations, Israel's accusations, a demand for justice. The justice of God is Jesus. He has come again, and he will come again to judge and the, living, the living and the dead, and Jesus will either be your refiner's fire, or Jesus will be the one who condemns you into eternal punishment. Now, how can Israel know? How can Judah know? How can the Levites know what side of God's judgment they will land on? And how from them can we learn? How do we know what side of God's judgment we are on? The answer is at the end of verse five. Look at the end. Against those who thrust aside the sojourner and... Do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Do you fear God this morning? Do you fear dishonoring him with your faithlessness? Do you trust that he is good? Do you think he is just, just because the wicked person prospers. The root of all sin comes from a heart that does not fear God. Guys, the root of all sin comes from a heart that does not fear God, but a heart that questions him and accuses him. And I want you to hear me on this, guys. If you're struggling right now, if you were poor, like, Hawaii is an expensive place, right? It's easy to be poor here. If you are suffering through health issues, if your marriage is terrible and you look at other people's and their marriage is great, or if you're single and you see other people dating, or now you were dating and you're single, or you're single and you just wish you had someone to be there, or you're not as smart as they are and they do better than you and... and you're suffering and you're just going through hard times, if that's where you're at, if you've questioned the justice and the goodness of God, I would respond to you, fear God. Trust that he is coming again. Trust his goodness. Believe that Jesus is the answer, that he is coming again and that we may repent and believe because we see you through a glass dimly and he is truly better and greater than we could ever imagine, right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of hosts, that you are sovereign over the angels, that you are sovereign over creation, that you are sovereign over all 
the rulers of this world and the armies are subject to your mighty hand. And so even now, as we've, we've, we've gone through the scriptures, God, and, and maybe the, the, the fiery furnace, the, the flames of affliction have been turned high this morning. Or maybe we've just been in this season of just going through a lot. God, may we find you to be more glorious, more treasured. May we delight in you in the midst of the flames of affliction, knowing that this temporary suffering is nothing to be clear, to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. God, who can stand before, your, before you? We can, because you gave us Jesus, and Jesus is our advocate. And as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if that's where you were at this morning, if you've struggled and suffered, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus and the flames have been turned up and you realize that God is singeing away all that does not belong in your life and he is drawing you to himself, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus, confess your sin. And if you were a Christian this morning, or if you are becoming a Christian by his grace, in him you are made clean. In him you are pure. And while the enemies, the world, our own flesh, may put lies upon us saying that we are impure, if we are in Jesus, he sees us as pure and holy. So Lord, thank you so much for this time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. We hope that Jesus is doing a work in your life from the message that you just heard. We would love to hear how you were impacted and what was impressed on your heart. Share your story by emailing connect at shorebreakchurch.com. And if you don't know Jesus as God, Lord and Savior, or you have more questions, send us an email to info at shorebreakchurch.com so we can get you dialed in with a free Bible and resources for your new relationship with Jesus.